0: Evidence and Answers. Does someone ever really come out of the gay lifestyle? The homosexual community has become commonplace, and so many embrace it as a natural tendency. Are they born that way, or is it a choice? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today on the show, Pat will be interviewing a young man who came out of the gay lifestyle and is now serving in the Christian community. Pat will ask some hard and very personal questions, and the answers may surprise you. The topic of homosexuality is one that, as Christians, we need to respond to. But how? By showing Christ's love to all we encounter. Now here is Pat along with his guest, Taylor. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we
1: present the compelling evidence for Christ and provide biblical answers to the issues Christians face today. Can a person change their sexual orientation? Many in the gay community say, you're born gay and therefore you can never change. How can we reach out to those in the gay community? Here to help us address that issue is Taylor. Taylor is currently a student at Every Nation Leadership Institute, preparing for a lifetime of ministry and service to the Lord. So Taylor, welcome to the show.
2: Uh, Hi, Pat. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, Taylor, you came out of the gay lifestyle. Tell us about your journey first into the gay lifestyle.
2: I remember kind of just being very, very curious. Ever since I was like in the fifth grade, I kind of started to like, I guess, see attraction towards the same sex. And I was just drawn into it. And I always kind of felt like, you know, maybe this is who I am. You know, and I kind of gave into that lie of, you know, well, maybe I'm just born this way. Maybe I'm just different. You know, I I don't have the same mannerisms as these manly men that I saw around me. And I, I just never felt, quote unquote, manly, I guess. And so because of that, I just kind of was like, you know, well, I'm not manly. And I do find an attraction to the same sex. So maybe this is who I am. And so I remember just kind of my freshman years when I really kind of was like, okay, you know, maybe let's just test it out. And so I had my first relationship with someone that my freshman year. And I felt like, you know, this is the one for me. This is the person that I'm going to marry or this is the person I'm going to be with. And I felt like I loved him so much. But really, it was just this lie because as quickly as it started, it was also as quickly as that relationship ended. And that relationship was my longest relationship. And it lasted for about a year. Every other relationship after that was really short, short. Very, very short.
1: Well, tell us, as you were growing up, about the men in your life. Were there positive male role models who you could bond with and really mm-hmm. model yourself after? Was that absent in your life?
2: For me, my dad passed away when I was in the seventh grade. And so when, he, when I was in the fifth grade, he also got sick. And so he wasn't really around to, I guess, guide me into what it really means to be a man. And so I kind of just saw on this one side, this person who was deteriorating. And then my uncle, who was like the man's man, you know, he was all about, you know, you don't you don't act a certain way. You don't you don't do certain things. And if you don't, then, you you know, you're a you're a fag or, you know, he would call call me things like that or say things like that. And I, I really kind of I kind of was like confused in that, like I was like, you know, well my dad's over here. I don't really have a dad to look up to. And then these people around me. They're all, like, manly men. They always talk about being rugged and and playing sports and doing all these things. But that wasn't who I was. Like, I never really liked sports. And I never really liked to, you know, do, like, fix things or or work on cars. I enjoyed baking. And I enjoyed, you know, going to the mall and talking to people and, and doing all these things. And those types of things are generally associated with women, And so I kind of was like, you know, maybe I am gay and and maybe these people because these men, you know, these are what real men are and I'm not that.
1: So did you find yourself identifying with women then and bonding with women instead of men at a young age? Is that what you found?
2: Yeah, I, I kind of saw women more as like a, I guess, a go to. I kind of felt like I could trust them and I could open up to them because they would you know, just love me and accept me. And I I really felt uncomfortable, I guess, talking to men or even opening up to them. I really didn't want to. It was really hard for me to even, like, ask my uncle for favors or to do things for me because I was just like, this is really awkward, you know. And I just found my comfort just kind of in confiding in women.
1: I see. So, Taylor, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but tell us about the gay lifestyle. I mean, what were your relationships like?
2: My relationships were very short. Um, It really, it didn't last too long. Like I said, my longest relationship was about a year. But beyond that, we always ended up breaking up because either somebody cheated or there wasn't a satisfaction there anymore. And it was just very short relationships because it was very promiscuous. Everybody kind of just wanted to... Everybody I dated, either myself or them, we wanted to kind of explore beyond that relationship at some point. We wanted to kind of meet new people or do different things or or try to find some satisfaction in another person and then when the other person found out it was just over and that was basically my relationship routine to a certain point where I just gave up on relationships altogether and I was like you know what I'm just gonna have sex all the time I'm just gonna have my girlfriends and then I'm just gonna go to guys for sex you know and then that's what I did I would meet up with guys and I would just have late night hookups and I would just go on the internet and browse the internet and try to find these guys to kind of I guess, fill my sexual pleasure and then using women to kind of feel that emotional pleasure.
1: Yeah, you know, Taylor, that promiscuous lifestyle is quite prevalent in the gay community. Numerous studies have shown that. The Bell and Weinberg study, the New England Journal of Medicine, the Dutch study in the Journal of AIDS, and numerous others. And so the whole idea of monogamy seems to be a myth in the gay community. Yet that's what we are presented constantly, you know, from the popular media that, you know, no... Gays don't have a promiscuous lifestyle, that they are monogamous, but the numerous numbers of gays I talk to constantly repeat what you're saying, that there seems to be a need for multiple relationships in, you know, the gay community. Why was that the case in your life?
2: I think that it's just you build into the lie that this person, this next person is going to be the one. But then you never get fully satisfied in that. You're always trying to find something, some yeah, kind of seems satisfaction. Yeah, there to be an
1: emptiness in there. Yeah. That, a seeking that drives you to another relationship. Exactly. And what and you're saying, you were hoping the next one would be the permanent one.
2: Yeah. I, I thought that the next relationship I was going to be in was going to be the one that it would last. And it ended up hurting me or hurting that person because some kind of need wasn't being met in that relationship.
1: Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? That in these relationships, you know, although outwardly there seems to be a lot of emotional attachment, really inwardly there's an emptiness still inside, isn't there? Yeah. Well, Taylor, did you have the feeling while you're in the midst of the gay lifestyle that this was sinful or something just wasn't right? Or were you convinced this is right, this is who I'm in, I've got no problem with it whatsoever?
2: I was very conflicted. Cause I grew up in a Christian home, so I kind of knew, like, you know, it's a sin. But then at the same part of me, there is there's that part that's kind of like, no. But this is who you are, and it's something that I kind of wrestled with. I was very like, there was there was moments and times where I was like, you know what, no, this is a sin. You need to stop. And I would try everything in me to stop, but it just wasn't working. And so I'd be like, okay, well, maybe this is who I am, and I would just give into it and, and and kind of live that way. But I remember at the end of it all, I would always end up feeling like you're a monster. Kind of feeling like, you know, you're never going to be accepted. You're never going to be accepted by God because you keep on falling back into it. And I kind of felt like, well, what's the point? And then that's when I finally was like, you know, I'm just going to give all into it and just go into that lifestyle because there's no point in me even trying to meet God's standards.
1: Yeah. You know, even those who don't grow up in a Christian background, they tell me the same thing, that they felt conflicted Mm-hmm. there in there describe that a little bit to us I mean, what do you mean by what was the conflict that was in there
2: i think the conflict was like you feel like part of you is this this that that you are gay but then on the other end you feel like well there's something telling you like this is wrong this this isn't how you were built this isn't the way that you were designed to live and those two mindsets are constantly constantly kind of waging war against one another and you're you're constantly thinking these different things in your head because you don't know you know you're kind of at odds with yourself because there's just these two aspects of who you are this internal nature that's telling you "No, this is wrong this isn't right and then this other presence i guess this that's other aspect of your mind that is telling you "No, you were born this way you know don't you see like everything you've you've tried everything and you're not changing so what's the point you you know
1: well taylor how would your parents respond once you told them
2: well, by the time I told my mom, my dad had already passed away. So I didn't really, I would, I don't know what my dad would say. But my mom was very, like, taken aback by it. She was kind of just like, oh, well, that's, that's wrong. You know, because she had that mindset, you know, that, that this is a sin. And I don't remember feeling accepted. I don't remember feeling like I could be at home. And so I would spend my nights out. I really just didn't want to be at home because I felt like, well, you know, I can't get love here. Because I remember because my dad passed away, it just made that much more pressure in our home for me to become the man on the house, the man of the house. And so I remember feeling like, well, I'm never going to meet the standards of being a man. So I'm just going to not be a part of this family.
1: Yeah, you know, that's what I hear a lot when I, in a lot of my friends who are in the gay community, those who have come out, that they're really looking for acceptance. And they didn't find it, you know, in the Christian community or in their family and so but they found it in the gay community and so they naturally drifted towards that area now you said a lot that you didn't feel you could meet up to the image of what it means to be a man you know and often in our culture today we have the image of a man he's you know john rambo or he goes (laughs) in the octagon and fights in the ufc Uh, is that kind of image that you felt you had to live up to
2: Growing up, yeah, I definitely felt like I needed to be this manly version who, you know, was rugged, who who played sports, who wasn't afraid to get hurt, who could endure pain and and, and who could fix things and was macho and masculine. And I wasn't any of those things.
1: Mm. Well, Taylor, tell us about your journey out of the gay lifestyle. I'm sure it was quite difficult, but tell us a little bit about that journey.
2: It was very difficult. I remember going to, like, our our small group at our church and— I had gone to them because I had contracted like a STI and I felt like, you know, there's nowhere else to go because this is the end. You know, I might die. I don't know. And when I told my group, all they did was hug me, pray for me and told me that they loved me. But I had gone into it expecting like, OK, you know, something's going to happen. They're going to yell at me. I'm going to get lectured. They're going to be like, you know, you're sinful. You're going to hell. But they didn't do that. They loved me. And then they, they prayed for me. And I went back to the doctor and they said that my STI was gone. And I was like, what? I was kind of like taken aback. I was like, how could it be gone? You know, but God had done something. And so I remember that moment. I was like, you know, I'm going to commit. I have to commit to you and it was not easy it was not an easy road but it was constant um, meeting up with mentors men who would speak life into me men who i could actually live like look up to and be like you know that's what it means to be a man it's not about being macho it's not about being you know this octagon fighting person but it's about really leading by example it's about being a leader it's about loving it's about having compassion but it's also about you know knowing when to say things when not to say things and they really just spoke life into me. They really encouraged me every time that I fell, because there are times when I, I would just kind of slip back or forth and kind of give back into that pleasure or whatever. I, they would always just hold me accountable to that, pray through with me. We would set up practical things for me not to do things. And over a course of time, I realized that my love for Jesus was way greater than my love for a temporary satisfaction on this world and so i decided that i saw that i didn't need that temporary satisfaction anymore that i could find full satisfaction in who jesus was and so i can now say with confidence that it's been like a couple of years since i've had sex with anybody you know yes there's a temptation that's there but that's just like with anybody's temptation i think that you you deal with it you know like Any man who's like married, I'm sure he has a temptation to look at a woman in a promiscuous way and to kind of see her, you know, sexually. But he has to make a choice to not look at her that way. And in the same way, with my temptation, I just I choose to deny myself, to pick up my cross and to trust in who Jesus is.
1: Yeah, it's quite powerful. Taylor, you know, what attracted you to attend the Bible study?
2: They were sticky. They they, they just constantly were inviting me. They constantly wanted me to be there. And they were just people who never really gave up. They were relentless when it came to reaching out to me. And they weren't relentless in attacking my sin. They weren't saying, like, you know, you're homosexual, therefore you need Jesus. They were just saying, you know, God loves you. And he has a plan and he has a purpose for you. Because they knew that I was partying, they knew that I was living a homosexual lifestyle, but they didn't address that. Instead, they said, he has a plan, he has a purpose for you, he loves you. And they would just constantly, constantly be reaching out to me in the point where when I did finally fall flat on my face, I was like, okay, maybe it's time to give this thing a try.
1: Yeah. Now, what are some practical steps that they had you to take to try and come out of the gay lifestyle?
2: I met up with a mentor like every two weeks. To kind of just talk about it, you know, and really the breakthrough is only going to happen if you're transparent, because I could have easily lied. But I chose to be transparent and to let them know when things were not happening and when things were happening. Also, when it's late at night, I would leave my door open just because there's access to thousands of things at your fingertips nowadays with technology. And so just to not give in to like, cause I didn't want to justify it. Like, well, I'm not physically doing anything, but I'm, 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 just looking at things. I didn't want that to be the case. And so sleeping with my door open at night to kind of, cause my sister is like right across the hall from me. And so that kind of helped me keep me accountable. Having people that I can call at any time of the day, whenever I'm feeling tempted to kind of call and be like, yo, this is what's up. And also having the people that I'm, that I'm always with or that I'm close to know what's up in my life because when we're at a mall and I start to, like, stare for too long or when we're doing things, they, they instantly, like, snap their fingers or clap and they're like, you know, hey, hey, what's up? You know, and they can address it. I think it's that constant, constant thing of just having that constant accountability in your life that those people that are not afraid to speak truth.
1: Wow, that's powerful of how the Christian community reached out to you. There wasn't any standards you had to meet or to be acceptable, but they reached out to you as a person. Then upon receiving Christ, then they began to start dealing with the issues in your life. That's yeah. fantastic. Well, tell us, Taylor, how can Christians reach out to those in the gay community? <laughs> you know, As Christians, we probably haven't done that great of a job. And so how can we be more effective in reaching out to those who are like you in the gay community?
2: Yeah, Christians haven't done the best job in reaching the gay community. It's just a fact. Over the years, gays have kind of come to the conclusion that Christians hate them. And that is not the case. We need to love them. And I think that the worst thing you can do is address their sin almost instantaneously. Because they expect it, but they also they already know, you know, that in their minds, well, you think it's a sin. You think I'm an abomination. Because they know the scriptures, they're not stupid. But I think that if we address it in a in a manner where it's like, hey, God has a plan for you. He loves you. He has a purpose for you and we really show the love of Christ to them, I think that that the love of Christ speaks volumes over their life instead of pointing out the sin. Because it's easy for us to kind of point out what's wrong in people's lives, but we forget that it's really Christ's love that that drew ourselves to him first. It wasn't people telling us what we were doing right or wrong. Uh, It was people loving us people showing us that there's a community that wants to band around you there's a community that wants to support you there's a god who has a purpose for you when you see that that's what drew me to god that's what drew a lot of people i know to christ and then when you get in that community that's when you guys can work at living out the life that christ is calling us to live but it's first showing them who christ is truly who christ is
1: yeah you know with the whole Issue going on in our country now about Mm -hmm. redefining marriage and legalizing gay marriage. It's really gotten hostile between Christians and the gay community. And so, you know, this might be a loaded question, but how do we somehow reach out in the midst of this hostile cultural war that's going on between these two groups here? Any advice that uh, you can give?
2: I personally think it's to just continue to love them where they're at. Because we have done a great job at making the image for Christianity that we hate gays. But we rarely point out people who cohabitate, who have sex before marriage. You know, we kind of just, we, like we notice these people in church, but we let them slide by. But the second a gay person walks into the church, oh my God, it's the end of the world, right? I think we need to, if we're going to raise the bar for gays, we need to raise the bar for everybody first. But also I think we need to exhibit the love of Christ. Let people know that they are loved by him first. I know a lot of people who are gay, and and I would love for them to see Christ, but I'm not going to point out what they are doing that is wrong. I'm going to love them. I'm going to support—I'm not going to support what they do, but I'm going to just, I guess, exhibit the love of Christ. I'm going to continue to speak truth, continue to speak life, and just live by example the way that I live, because there's something attractive about if we live for Christ, if we are genuinely living the way that God is calling us to live— they get drawn to that. They want to know, why do we have joy in our sorrows? Why are we able to go through the pains and the struggles of life and come out saying, you know what, it's okay, and being, being almost joyous in that at the end of it all. They want to know what that's about. And I think the only way that, that we can really draw in and connect to these people is to just live our lives because at some point they're going to want to know and we'll, we will be ready to accept them into our community, to, to speak truth and to speak life.
1: Now, Taylor, I think the first time you went to church, tell us about that experience. I mean, was that really uncomfortable for you? Did you find the church accepting, or did you find it quite resistant? I mean, what was your experience when you first went to church on a Sunday or a Saturday night?
2: I felt it was accepting, but at the same time, they didn't really— I didn't tell anybody that I was gay. That's why I thought I was a normal person. I remember when I did come out to some people, some leaders I felt were a little bit too intense. That's all they wanted to know was like, hey, did you, you know, have you, have you met up with anybody lately? Were you looking at any pornography sites, you know, gay pornography sites lately? And I really felt like, okay, whoa, buddy, like, I don't even know you. You know, like, I felt mm-hmm. like that's all you care about. You don't care about me as a person. You just care about whether or not I'm living right or wrong. And so when I first came to church, that's what I kind of got. And that's kind of mm-hmm. also what caused me to kind of choose to follow away and just be like, you know, what? I don't want this anymore.
1: Yeah, you know, that's a good point. I guess you felt falsely judged, mm. you know, by people that don't know you, yeah. you know, and what you seem to be saying is you need to accept me as a person first. If you want to speak into my life, Yeah, you know, yeah. to have that relationship there, then you have the authority to speak into my life. But if you don't, you know, and then you're addressing very deep and personal issues and hurts in my life and, you know, I don't even know you. Well, you haven't built that platform of a relationship there. So yeah. overall, the church in general now. Would you say that we have a welcoming community to those struggling in the gay lifestyle?
2: I would say that we do not, if we're looking at the church as a whole.
1: And how would we be more sensitive to reaching out to those in the gay community? I remember as a youth pastor, I didn't realize I had two people in my youth group struggling with homosexuality. And I wasn't sensitive at all you know, and, you know, when I found them messing around, I mean, you know, just what teenagers do, wrestling or playing tackle football and breaking the couch or whatever, I scold them, but I'd say things that are kind of insensitive to the struggles that uh, these guys had. How can Christians be more sensitive or more welcoming to those who are trying to come out of that lifestyle and maybe coming to church or sitting in church and, and struggling? We don't realize that they're Probably a bunch of men and women who attend church every Sunday who are struggling with this very issue.
2: Yeah. I would say be careful about what you say. The Bible says to be slow to speak, right? I think that we need to take our time before we we, we say something because you don't know who's listening and you don't know the struggles that a person is going through. For example, like I remember talking to one of my friends and I was like, you need therapy. And it was a joke. I I didn't know that that person actually had gone through therapy, like they, they were actually struggling with that, you know, and that was something that they needed to, like that they were facing. And I think that that's just a broad spectrum that we just really need to be careful with the words that we choose because Words are powerful. They can speak life, but they can also speak death upon a person. And if we call each other, like, because society today, you know, like calling each other gay or calling each other fags, it's, it's just so thrown around all over the place as if it's just a joke. But to somebody who's struggling with that, it hurts. And I think that if we're a lot more sensitive with what we say and a lot more compassionate about the people that we're around, that will speak volumes into them wanting to change to live for Christ.
1: Well, that's a powerful testimony that you're sharing, Taylor, I'm sure a lot of people appreciate your honesty in sharing some really difficult journey you had here.
0: Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show. If you found this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous donations from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, click on that Donate button on the lower right-hand side of our homepage. That's EvidenceAndAnswers.org. We have a wide variety of resources available for you right there. Evidence & Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit their website at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ, right here on Evidence and Answers.